to you and I for the Kenai. I'm back with Coburn today, and we're back at the Serenity Intake office recording some more recovery stories. Today, we're sitting down with Clay, and Clay's going to tell us about his about his journey to recovery, man. So, how's it going today, Clay? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Things are really good. Nice, man. So, we'll uh, just kind of just get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? I was uh, born and raised in Soldotna, Alaska. I mean, grew up on a farm. And uh, had a pretty good uh, childhood. Kind of grew up in a religious household. My uh, dad was a pastor, and my mom, uh, uh, a bit of a Bible thumper, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. This is the way I saw it back then. Right. Let's see. How'd you feel about all that? Like, you, you kind of getting got a big smile on your face right now. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't do things like this. So, um, and which is important to me today, because like uncomfortability mm-hmm. um, promotes growth in right. my life today, and uh, so I'm thankful for for this. You see how I felt about it. I was angry. I was a very angry kid. Mm-hmm. I um, rebelled constantly. I went and uh, I would always be disciplined. But I would walk away from that, from getting spanked with a smile on my face and, and laughing because I thought if that's the worst they can do to me, then, then like, you know, I, I can do whatever I want, you know. Right. Like, it's, it was no big deal for, to, for me to get disciplined. And, um, and even getting grounded didn't work and stuff. And uh, my parents, uh, they split up when I was 12 years old. And my mom took a... Uh, me and some of the kids in Missouri, and uh, I was actually homeschooled all the way to sixth grade, and I started going to public school, and um, that was kind of like a culture shock right Definitely. there, and I didn't really know how to fit in. I was kind of like quiet, and, and but you know, I wanted, I wanted friends, of course, and connection, and the easiest way I found it was in, uh, you know, the, the group of kids that were, you know, rebels, because mm-hmm. I was a natural re- rebel since I was a little kid, and so um, started like chewing tobacco and stuff to fit in, and and uh, sixth grade graduation is when um, started drinking and uh, smoking weed like a couple weeks later, and um, and then uh, pills came, and um, but in Missouri, uh, living with my mom, kind of I slowed down on that because. I was going to a private school and I was playing basketball and and uh, our basketball team was was really good and so that was fun but I was still like a very like angry kid. I was I wasn't getting along with my mom because she would um like whenever I was with my mom I wanted to be with my dad. When I was with my dad I wanted to be with my mom and I was kind of torn between the two and I didn't really know what I wanted or I didn't know the feelings I was feeling mm-hmm. I didn't know how to talk about him so you know I would just act out in anger you know right. anger towards my little brother towards my mom towards myself threatening myself threatening you know to commit suicide and and you know my knives get taken away and I get mad and and it was I was just a a very unhappy kid looking back now why do you think you were so angry I think um I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I was feeling, mm-hmm. so it was a lot easier for me to turn it to anger 
something I was familiar with since I was a little kid, rather than like being sad and and you know feeling pain and um you know didn't really have anyone to talk to like I went to counseling but I learned how to juggle there so mm -hmm. I mean like we didn't really talk about any of the stuff I was actually going through I just pretended like it was all okay and when it was too much when it was all built up in my shoulders I would just act out in anger mm -hmm. oh. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this just sounds like a perfect storm. You know, you got all these elements kind of combined together. You've been homeschooled up until a certain point, and then basically your parents split up, and you move to a different state, and you go to a different school, basically all within the same time frame, right? So I would imagine, and I don't know if you felt this way, but I would imagine there would kind of be this sense of unfairness of, like, so many things changing in such a short amount of time, and you're already kind of frustrated with you know the authority structure is that kind of how you're feeling or is it really hard to tell I know it's a long time ago yeah I think I think I thought things were very unfair mm -hmm. and but what I what I didn't realize is I was being unfair as well like I mean I was I was a kid and I I feel like that like uh, my other siblings were kind of growing up faster and I was still immature and, and I, I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I actually went to a, a hospital, um, a psychiatric hospital, because, I mean, my mom didn't know what to do with me. Mm -hmm. And I understand that because, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I, I don't think any parent would really know what to do with how angry of a kid I was and you know I was just trying to get my way I think mm -hmm. you know like like um even when you probably really don't know what your way even is you know what I mean like right. your way probably shifts moment to moment like depending on what you want in that moment you know what I mean mm -hmm. does that make sense definitely yeah so I mean you said you you went to counseling a lot of the people we talk to, you know, it's a lot, it's similar, you know what I mean? They have some stuff, like, that's unresolved from childhood. A lot of not knowing how you're feeling and how to deal with those feelings. And a lot of that, I mean, if you're not taught how to deal with your feelings, especially when you're young, like, it just it perpetuates, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to be able to cope with things as you get older because mm -hmm. you never learned and no one's ever taught you how to cope anyway, right. even with little things, you know? So it makes sense. Like, no, man, that's really hard. Then you had this big transition. We moved around a lot when we were kids, too. And that's always hard, man. Like, no matter what. Yeah. Like, even if you're moving from a bad situation to a good one. Like, not to say that you were, but just, in, like, in general. You know what I mean? Anytime you're moving and changing things, especially when you're 12, dude. Like, that's a hard age, man. Like, you've never been to public school. That is the absolute worst time to go to public school. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> middle that's what I've heard. Dude, middle schoolers are the worst. You know what I mean? Like, that's when kids are, like, starting to hit puberty. They're getting ready to change, dude. Like, they don't know. Like, the majority of kids, even in well-situated households, don't know what they're feeling and don't really know mm -hmm. what's going on in life at that point either. You know what I mean? So, like, it's kind of just some things, man. Like, it all kind of just builds up right here. And that's kind of it happens. But just looking back now, what do you think – would have best helped you. You said you don't didn't have anybody to talk to. Like what? Like what would that person have looked like to you? Do you think if you would have been able to have somebody to talk to? Like if you could create them right now, like what would that person look like? They would be open. Open about 
just uh, things of the world and like open to me about like what to expect and have a peaceful presence and to always be loving to everybody and ask me if if I am if I am okay and um, tell me how you know things that they might have been dealing with you know when they were younger or things they're dealing with you know currently right. like I feel like maybe I would have opened up mm -hmm. some and but who knows you know right yeah now, I asked that question because dude, there's like there's a lot of kids like you you know what I mean that are just like they don't especially when you're getting disciplined a lot mm -hmm. you know not that like discipline's always a bad thing you know what I mean some kids need to be disciplined I suppose but like the only thing you really learn when you're yelled at is how to yell at people yeah, like that's really all you're learning there. You know what I mean? Like you're really not like learning a whole much of a lesson. Like it's actually like it's weird. But like, and in, in that does that like does that come out? Because your anger never goes away, right? Like no matter how much you're disciplined, like the anger doesn't really ever leave. I feel like my journey, drugs helped me to cope with that for a very long time. It's just feeling numb. Mm -hmm. And um, today. Like, I've never actually been a very angry person after, I would say, 18 years old. Like, I always, like, held it in, mm -hmm. and it would it would build up and stuff. And by me using drugs, I was, I was able to relieve that for so long. But I didn't know, when I got off the drugs, I still didn't know how to feel. And so I, I was uncomfortable, anxious. I couldn't sit still. You know, like, I always had to be going somewhere. You know, and, and that's why, like, I started traveling a lot. I was running from myself and running from God. And I didn't know what to do or, or how to express, like, how I felt. And um, I believe counseling, uh, rehabs, and just meeting a lot of different people and, and having deep conversations and opening up, I, I started to realize that, you know, what, what the feelings I was feeling were. And a lot of it wasn't even my own stuff. A lot of it was people around me. Like, I, I feel other people's feelings, too, like, around me. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I could be having, like, anxiety right now, and it might not, you know, be myself. Like, I didn't know how to dif differentiate between what I was feeling myself and the other people around me. Because, I mean, I, I believe that, I mean, I know that I pick up what other people are feeling. Mm -hmm. You're definitely not the first person I've heard say that, that you can literally be uh, feeling maybe like super anxious like you were talking about, look around and you'll see someone who's super anxious and also they'll click and you're like, why do I feel like that? Which is yeah. something that was kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around because that's not really automatic for me, but I can understand. I mean, this is, like I said, I've, I've heard before of, of different people who say that. So it's really interesting to hear that you were able to learn that and to start to understand that. And maybe that, it sounded like there was a lot of confusion, you know, with emotions. Yeah. And that probably was a pretty good source of it. I mean, not knowing how, if you're feeling something or if it's a reflection of someone else's feeling, imagine that was a lot of turmoil before you figured that out. Like Yes, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of brought you there? Like, what... What happened in your life? Was there kind of a, 
a dip into sort of a rock bottom scenario or what what made you more open or decide that there was a a way you could kind of sort this out at first it wasn't exactly a choice to want to like stop using drugs i wanted i wanted to keep feeling numb mm -hmm. for a very very long time and after after prison i wanted to to, to keep using, but I was on probation, and so I would try not to, and then I realized that I couldn't go very long without using. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, I need to complete probation, so I would try to stay clean, and I still couldn't stay clean. And that's when eventually I started going to rehabs, mm -hmm. and it's when I started being introduced to the idea of like, okay, you have these feelings, and you don't know how to feel them, and so, you know, you try to cover them up, you know, and, and they just, the feelings just weren't okay with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, through, um, like, I've tried, I've tried all, all the ways that were recommended and, and, um, what they, uh, taught me in rehabs and stuff, and, and it, it never worked for me, like, um, I would I would even go back to uh, religion, but the problem is I was going back to religion. I wasn't going back to a personal relationship with God. Like I was going off of and of what other people were telling me. And it's like, well, I don't quite understand. But you see, it's not it's not about religion at all. It's not about like you know you have to do this or that. It's about like having that personal relationship with God and having that connection and then you can start correcting the other things in your life. Mm. So that's really where you had to start more mm. or less. So was there a point you said that, you know, you tried and it just wasn't working. So then you went to rehab. Was there a point where you started realizing that you couldn't do this alone? Like, was there, I'm assuming there was a point in your life where like, you know what? I could stop whenever I want to. I just don't want to. Like that's a pretty common thing we hear I mean I've been there you know so when when did that kind of transition to into wait a minute maybe I can't stop what was that experience like goodness I I I mean I wanted to keep using till say I'm 27 years old now and I wanted to keep using like I, I would I would tell myself like I'll just quit for a while and then and then you know go back to it or you know I'll quit but I still want to drink, but you know, I get drunk and then I'm looking for a gram of heroin mm. and it just, it never, it never was enough. And, and that's when I started to realize like, I can't do anything. Like I can't do any mind altering substances because once I, once I stop like dealing with <clears throat> how I feel and letting putting things in my life to cover up, <clears throat> excuse me, to cover up how I feel, it's like, it's a, you know, it's just, it's a snowball avalanche effect, you know, yeah, it just, it keeps going and, and there's not really any stopping me until, you know, jails, prisons, like I've, I can't tell you how many times I've been arrested, I don't actually know, but I know that each and every time, just about each and every time has saved my life. Like I would have died if I if I wasn't getting locked up. Like I would have died if the you know the times I didn't go to rehab. Mm. Like 
I've, I got so tired of, of fighting that fight of wanting to be clean, wanting to live free, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I didn't know how, and I was constantly running, constantly moving state to state, and I just couldn't find that peace within myself, that connection through other people. You know, we are, you know, we're made for connection, you know, mm-hmm. we're made for love, to love each other. And I, I just, I couldn't find it. Hmm. So it was just kind of a gnawing feeling that built up. Like you were looking for this. It's almost like you were looking for a, a relationship in your addiction, and but it wasn't satisfying because it's just numbing. You know, it doesn't have the complete package of love and support mm-hmm. of a real, genuine human connection. So it sounds like that uh, you started to discover that that's what you needed. Is there anyone in your life who kind of pointed you towards that, or did you see? recovery and and see it on your own and think this is somewhere where I could find this connection that I'm looking for a lot of people were trying to point me in the right direction like everywhere I went someone was telling me like about God like even at my worst times people people were praying for me my family was praying for me and people were reaching out to me telling me you know, at, at any time, you know, you can, you know, you can call upon Jesus and you can be forgiven. And I wasn't having it. Like I started having other beliefs and and getting dabbling into other religions and just put me into a darker spot. I was lost. Like I was numb. And I I wanted to. I thought I could be a god. I thought I could create my own reality. I thought, you know, since I can speak life, I can speak death, that I, I made myself, or I tried to make myself a god, and it wasn't working. It didn't work for a bit. Yeah, I think that maybe there was that contrast of realizing that you weren't, you could not overcome this struggle alone, and so therefore, you know, it couldn't be possible that you were god, because you wouldn't have any limits. So maybe that was, was that something that you kind of repeatedly hit against was that if I can't beat this, then there must be something different. I'm, I'm just not enough in this situation. Did that, did that kind of hit you at some point? Yes. Yes. I, so I got out of prison in Nevada and I got back in the drugs pretty quick and, um, shooting up meth and heroin and um, I went to rehab a few times there in Vegas because I was on parole, and they're like, "Oh, you got to rehab." Put me on Subutex. I was on like Subutex for six months. Rehab. Yes, well, yeah. parole like they had this program where um, it was called a uh, medically assisted treatment, mm-hmm. and um, they so it's for parolees getting out yeah. that have a heroin problems. So mm-hmm. they. They put me on Subutex, and right. and uh, which is basically the same thing as Suboxone, and um, it it really it really messed me up, and like you know, and I was going to groups and stuff, and I'd be nodding out, and and on, and I for a while I was like, oh, this is really great, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this is good, 
but still it, it wasn't enough. I would still use like I would wouldn't take them that morning and um, I would you know do heroin for a couple of days and then get back on them so I wouldn't go through withdrawals and mm -hmm. and you know carry around fake pee with me everywhere I went. So it wouldn't work. It was it was just a it was just another cover up, you know. And I would still escape to my drug of choice, heroin. But every time I did, like I would, I would hate it. I started. So you just kind of, you kind of just uh, skirted the system a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because you're getting, because I, it happens a lot too. Actually, and it's not uncommon at all. You know, especially with Suboxone, when you get the films, like they're so easily diverted. Like a lot of people just kind of save them up until they're ready to go through withdrawal or they can't get any more, and then use them then or. And that's super common. I think that's what's cool about like the new um, the new subuclate. Yeah, it's like that once a month shot. <clears throat> so oh, yeah. They, yeah. So now right out, like in the same thing, you know, like parolees and things like that. I think I don't know if they can get them here yet. I think in some states you can, like when you're directly when you're out. You know, it's a once a month kind of good and go and just your cravings, and then versus like actually having something that you can rely on just to not go through withdrawal. Because you feel like that perpetuated you a little bit, like kind of just pushed you forward, like. If you did you, so let me rephrase my question. Do you feel as if like you would have had something like that was like once a month versus like oh here's a here's some this you know what I mean that you couldn't have used later that that might actually help. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. Um, there was this other shot that's like every six months, mm -hmm. <clears throat> or this little thing that they put into your arm, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about doing that, you know, because. Like I didn't like how I was I was taking the pill every morning, I was taking sixteen milligrams every morning, dissolving under my tongue, and and it was it was it was a lot. But in order to get the thing in my arm, the little implant that releases slowly, mm -hmm. um, I had to get down to I think it was uh, eight milligrams. Mm -hmm. a day and I was doing 16 and I would start to drop down and then I'm like nope don't want to do it and I'd go back up and it would it was just a constant battle in my head of whether I actually wanted to get off subutex or just mm -hmm. stay on them you know I eventually right. quit using on the weekends or you know every now and then and just stayed on just a subutex right. but it was still giving me that that relief like to where I didn't have to feel everything, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, I was still covering up what was inside of me. Yeah. So more than anything, you still, like, just weren't ready to feel your feelings, so. Yeah. yeah. Especially the shame, mm -hmm. guilt, those, those drive me to using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how, what was that experience like? You said that you started to hate it, you know? You started to hate the fact that you still want to and that you were still doing it, but it almost becomes a kind of a self-containing loop, you know, of... The, all that guilt and shame wanting to escape from that so what point does it break down and you kind of break the cycle after parole i got arrested in reno nevada and that's uh where i got arrested before i went to prison in that state just a year and a half prior and i was sitting in jail and uh my cellie was like oh i forgot a bible and i'm like oh okay cool and he's like, I'll just get one tomorrow. I'm like, good talk. <laughs> and the uh, next day I'm out there in the, in the mod and I see a Bible on the bookshelf and I grab it for him, you know, and uh, take it into the cell. You know, when we had the lockdown, I'm like, hey, I got you a Bible. He's like, I already got one. And I seen that he already had one. 
And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so I set it down by my, my bed, and and uh, later that night I started I started reading, and I read in James, and and some first uh, James verse two, it uh, says something along the lines of count it as blessings, and and uh, count it as joy when you go through trials, and like that's like my whole life, you know, like I've I've gone through a lot, and I know like my purpose is to help other people <clears throat> my purpose is to show love to those who can't love themselves you know because that was me for so long I couldn't love myself I was hurt I was lost and at that at that point in my cell I all of a sudden got this I got hope and and I knew that all the prayers that people were praying for me weren't for nothing you know like I I'm alive for a reason I've I felt like many times I should have died, but because of people loving me and praying for me, I am still alive. And so I asked God, I was like, God, you have to use me if I'm going to do this. Like, you have to help me help other people and show me how to do that. You know, give me a heart of your heart. Show me how to love how you love. And I, I surrendered right there. And and I knew when I got out, like, if I just walked out and went back into Reno, you know, on the streets or, or living in some trap house or, or, you know, living with some girl that I eventually I would start to use again. And I was like, I got to have a plan. And I, I asked my family for help. Not everybody is, can get help from their family. And my family is sick and tired of, of me, you know, going back and back and forth for the long longest time and not staying clean and and so they were maybe they were a little reluctant at first but once I started talking to them and telling them like how I feel and stuff and and what I want to do they they uh, helped me get a ticket back here to Alaska and I wanted to get into a program so I I looked into the Wasilla Teen Challenge program and um um, I sent an application to them, and then I sent an application to the Men's Freedom House program, which I heard about years ago before they even started, through this family friend of mine that she actually, like, wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about me and prays for me. And um, so I, I moved here. Uh, as soon as I walked out of jail, I had my aunt pick me up from, she lives in California. She picked me up, and she drove me to the airport. Cause I didn't, I didn't even want to walk to the airport by myself. Like I, like I knew I could make it to the airport. I knew that I would have strength enough to not pick up from jail to the airport. But I just, I wanted to make sure that I got there, because my my family is helping me again, and I don't want anything to happen. You know, to where, to where you know I I burn, I burn another bridge you know like mm -hmm. like I I've burnt so many bridges and I've said I was going to change so many times but I never fully surrendered to God's plans for my life I never fully surrendered to his love and 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 fully accepting Jesus into my life and trying to live more like Jesus I mean that's that's what our purpose here it's it's to love how Jesus loves and love is so very much important. 
so important in, in this recovery community. You know, people come in, they become in broke, lost, and, you know, hopeless. But if you just show them a little bit of love, like, like something that makes them feel comfortable and, and wanted, and, and they know that, you know, that they can have that feeling here with, you know, a recovery support group or, you know, in a, in a church or, you know, at meetings, you know, like you find this love in different places, but it's our job to take that love that we find in these places and carry it with us throughout the day and to love on other people. Yeah, it, it reminds me of earlier you mentioning the ideal friend, what, you know, what would have really helped you. And it sounds like you're trying to become that person. Like that's your ultimate goal is to be the kind of person that can show some real care, that can relate to some real struggles. And even though you've had this really difficult journey, you are in such a an awesome opportune slot to be able to share from a place of experience and from a place of you've been these different places. So I just think it's awesome that you're willing to, I know you said like the whole podcast thing is a little uncomfortable, but you're willing to count even this amount of suffering as gain, as you mentioned, um, in order to further that idea of, of wanting to be there for other people, kind of wanting to serve. That's something we keep coming back to in these podcasts that I find really fascinating is that there's so much healing in helping others. There's so yes. much healing in, in giving back to other people. And it's not something that you think. Like, my selfish nature isn't thinking about how awesome it is to help out other people. But it's even rewarding in its own way of, of when you really impact someone for good is one of the coolest feelings ever, in my opinion. Um, so it's just so crazy to see where you've come from and being able to switch it around and actually try to become that ideal person in someone else's life. So... Man, just so awesome to hear mm -hmm. that kind of story. Thank you. Thank you. So now that you're in recovery, and you've been, I'm assuming throughout this process, you've been in a number of meetings outside of here and just kind of through, throughout, you know what I mean, and kind of engaged in the 12-step process and maybe some other processes as well. So how, what skills have you learned to better help, like, feel your feelings now and kind of express those in a more healthy way? I mean, just being, just being open and being able to identify, like how I am feeling, um, and I mean through prayer, honestly, mm -hmm. and just giving those those bad feelings to God, and even even the good feelings too, and and He turn He turns them around and even makes them even better. So I mean that 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 personal relationship with God, that constant communion, and in meetings, meetings are meetings are awesome. Like I mean, some some of them I I don't really like, and I I ask myself like why why am I in this meeting? But something told me like like look, it it's not always it's not always about you. You know, like everybody needs each other, mm -hmm. and I can choose to to take what I want from a meeting. There is a lot of good, and then there's some icky stuff. Well, I can leave that icky stuff. I don't have to accept everything, you know, that somebody tells me. And you know, even outside of a meeting, someone you know you're talking to in in a, in a church or on the street or 
you know, mm-hmm. anywhere. You don't have to accept everything, but you can still love them for who they are because we're all human. We all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'll, I'll say something and I'll be like, oh, that, that probably, that probably might have hurt them a little bit. And like, you know, not really realizing what I'm saying at the moment because we respond quickly, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I'm trying to be, you know, you know, like quicker to listen and, you know, slower to speak. And it's, it's hard. Like our human nature is just to, you know, to respond quick and, you know, mm-hmm. get things done. And, and, you know, who cares if it hurts anybody? That's their problem. It's not, it's not my problem. But I mean, we, we are all responsible for what we say. Words are powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, we can speak life. We can speak death. Like, words can hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. Words can drive somebody, you know, from, from a school to go home and, and ponder, you know, whether if, if they're worthy enough to, to live a life. And it's sad, you know. Like, I think we need to tell, you know, more of the younger generation what words can do Mm-hmm. To, to people and, and you know to show show every kid love because a lot of it might be they might not get that full love from home right. and they go to school and they take it out on other kids mm-hmm. and and then not everyone knows what to say or or how to talk about you know that pain that they might feel from someone else because they're taking out taking it out on them because they don't get the full amount of love at home and nobody knows right. what that kid's home life is like mm-hmm. And so there is there is no help in that. So I mean, just like having, you know, some some safe safe adults to confide in, or you know, like just like maybe um, I I don't know, you know. Right. Like, yeah. No. That's you're completely you're right you're with that there, one. Yeah. Yeah. Even our sources of strength training we went to, they mentioned that they mentioned that having one trustable adult in your life is makes a huge impact and I know personally I did have that I did have someone besides my parents who was actually my pastor at the time who I met when I was around 13 who kind of helped me you know I could really express myself without being worried about being punished and it was really helpful to me in some some tumultuous years in my life Mm -hmm. but yeah absolutely I I think you're right as far as um, how that can help because absolutely Mm -hmm. I was really curious about, um, you know, you said you had a lot of background anger. Now, working through that, was that a slow process? Or did that happen at a specific point where it just kind of dropped? Was that like a, real, a revelation or was it kind of a slow burn? You know, it's, it faded away as you matured and, and kind of became more capable of dealing with your emotions and, and kind of what life throws at you. It was a slow process. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of people that some things are, are quick for them mm-hmm. and some things are slow. Like for me, the anger thing, something I held on to since I was a kid was it was hard to let go because I was comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And so I just couldn't just turn away from it. And like I, I really had to figure out like how I can put that, that energy I was putting into being angry into something productive like um like you know for a long time I was I was really into working out and like when I would I would feel angry like through like maybe I felt like disrespected or hurt you know and and I would go to the gym and and you know I could I could get rid of that I was I was a runner I would I would run miles and 
I would feel so good afterwards and and so everything that, that was building up throughout the week, I could get it out through that way. But I mean that was just another another like cover up. It is a great coping skill. But I, w- I was still like I would still have those, you know, feelings build up throughout the week. So what I came to realize is like if I if I feel disrespect, if someone says something that hurts me or if I don't have those those connections to people around me, well me not having those connections to people around me is because I I was isolating. You know, I was I was nervous and I wasn't open with people and I'm like maybe other people don't, you know, feel like how I feel. Just coming to the realization that everyone struggles. You know, whether they put on a a front or not, like, you know, they might have a smile on their face, but they too also struggle with the same things. Like we're all human human. Of course we're different, but there are these thoughts in our head that are just saying, you know, like, you know, you're not worthy, you know, you're not loved, you know, that person is just being fake. And those those ate at me for a long time. Like, you know, I'm I'm not worthy of of a good life because of my, my past, the shame I feel, the, the guilt I feel from the things that I've done. Like they ate ate at me for a long time. And but by by accepting what Jesus did on the cross for me, like I don't have to feel those things. Like I am free today. Like I have I have peace. You know, I have joy. I have love. And the the past it does not matter. That old me is is dead. And that anger that I was constantly dealing with, that anger is dead to me. Like I let that go too. I put that on the cross. And Jesus took that from me. I mean today like if I might like I might have like a thought of like oh I should be angry at this person right but that's not who I am today you know I I can rebuke those thoughts because those thoughts aren't from me because I am a new creation and it is it saved my life and so just by having all those people that have been praying for me, those people that have been loving on me when I couldn't love myself, is the only reason why I'm here today. And I had to take those steps to be okay with myself so I can continue being okay, or being here today, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like nobody can accept God's love for me but myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to take that step of faith. I had to reach out. I had to ask for it. I had to choose for myself to be forgiven. Like, I can't choose for you so you don't have to feel all that pain of your past. I can't choose that for you. I wish I could. Like, I, I had to do that for myself. Yeah, and I hope that people who are in addiction, when they begin recovery, that their support groups, whether it be family, friends, are kind of able to draw that distinct line to realize that this is a new life that we're embarking on and not to keep the old life there because you already feel whoever it is already feels bad about it 
you know, the, about mm-hmm. the things that have happened. There's a lot of shame and guilt. You didn't want to be where you were. You did it because of what you thought you needed, which was basically escape, you know. But you didn't want to um, hurt people. Like, that wasn't your goal, you know, more or less. But regardless, people got hurt. And to have a support group or people that you trust, uh, to have them be willing to forgive you for what happened in the past, I think that can really help people in recovery to kind of start that new life with more acceptance, having people willing to kind of forget that past and and accept you as a new person. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Thank you, Clay. This was fun, man. I mean, I'm glad today we focused a lot on recovery, actually, because I think there was a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. That was really like empowering for a lot of people. Um, I think what's really to be taken from this is that like no matter how many times it takes, you know, just keep pushing. Yes. Like just keep going. You know, like it things are gonna happen, and like it's not gonna be perfect every time. It's gonna be a struggle, and you know, getting sober is hard, man. Like I like. It's worth it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's a huge, awesome step. Like Clay said, he's free today. He's feeling, he feels his feelings today. He does things today that he never thought he'd probably be alive to do five, ten, five, ten years ago. And, but it is going to be a hard process, but it's it's going to be a worth it process. But at the end of the day, like you're right, it's a process. It's not a one-time fix-all thing. It's not a show up and be better, you know. But to start the process, you got to take that step forward. And especially getting into recovery where people mm-hmm. want you to win, yep. where they want you to succeed, kind of having that support group. Uh, I know you mentioned there were people who were kind of in your corner, at least. They were willing once you, they said, basically, uh, we're ready to accept you. Just please come back to, to being yourself again. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, using services like, like the Serenity House mm-hmm. or places like that, can kind of give you maybe a little extra push seeing someone else wanting you to succeed as badly as maybe you do. Maybe, mm-hmm. like you said, there's a certain point where you just hate it, but you're still in it. So people who are in that place, there's people who want you to win out there. There's people who, who can help yes. support you to get you to the right resources that may make this a lot easier. I mean, I know it's really traditional to want to do everything on your own and, you know, even as you mentioned earlier, kind of that self-empowerment of, oh, I can be a god here, I can control right. all the things in my life, that, that just doesn't work. It just really breaks down. So being willing to kind of humble yourself and reach mm-hmm. out to the people who really care about you I think is a huge step, a huge step in the yes. direction of recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clay, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. I this appreciate you. This was you and I, the keynote. <laughs>